first of all, as we get started and as you're turning there, I just want to mention a couple things. There's uh, some people in my life that have been very instrumental in me being and my wife and our family being where we're at, even be here in Linwood to lead uh, down here. And uh, one of those families is, is Pastor Dwayne and his wife, Trina McCracken. And they were the pastors at First Baptist Church, or he was the pastor of First Baptist Church at Vaser. Uh, when I first went to church there, October of 2010, and uh, he uh, took the time, uh, as led by the Holy Spirit, to pull me aside one day and ask me uh, some pretty serious questions about uh, my faith, about where I was at, and my intentions. Uh, and I, I, love the, I love sharing this story all the time because uh, it really shows that sometimes we have to be asked hard questions. Pretty much we always have to be asked hard, hard questions. It's really how we respond to those questions that really uh, determines whether or not we're, we're, we're looking to God or looking to ourselves. Uh, as he pulled me aside, I, I, has, I, had, I had really never been to church ever before in my life. And then that morning, uh, the second time I'd ever attended the church, he asked me, he said, hey, do you have a minute? I'd like to ask you a few questions. And so we went in his office and he said, uh, are you here to learn the things of God? Or are you here because you want to date a woman who's a Christian? And uh, I shared my story with him, where I was at, uh, the things that happened in my life. And uh, he opened God's word and it wasn't anything specifically that he said, uh, but it was God's word that convicted me of my sin, uh, my need of a savior. And, uh, you know, that was 12 years ago, and uh, 12 years and a month almost. And so here I am today, uh, this morning, uh, sharing with you from Hebrews chapter 1 and God's word to show that you too are in need of a Savior uh, because we, uh, as all mankind, have a sin problem. Amen? Yeah. And so I just want to say thank you to you guys. Thanks for being here this morning as, as, as I share God's word uh, as, we, as we look at Hebrews chapter 1. Uh, also, I, we don't we don't always do this, and I, I you know I forgive me if I've ever forgotten your birthday or your anniversary. But I just want to uh, say happy anniversary to Ron and Gwen. They've been married 172 years today. And, uh, I'm just kidding. I, I my math was off. It's I think it's 57 years uh, married today, right? Amen. God is good. And so. Uh, again, just uh, the relationship that I've had with, with Ron and Gwen, with Karen and John, uh, the few remaining members here at Linwood Baptist Church who welcomed us in and uh, have walked with us in step since day one and helped us to get to the point where we're at to uh, serving this community and, and, and growing in Christ. And so uh, this morning as we, as we look, we're, we, we've stepped aside, Pastor Mark mentioned a couple weeks ago, uh, we were going through the book of Matthew. We've kind of stepped aside from that until uh, probably January. We'll get back into the book of Matthew. And last week, uh, about a week and a half ago, Pastor Mark said, hey, I'm going to be uh, over at Warner Road Baptist Church on, uh, on the 6th. Can you go ahead and preach that morning? And I said, absolutely. And almost immediately, Hebrews chapter 1 came to mind. And so last week, and we hadn't talked about what we were going we to preach. And uh, he, he got up from the pulpit last week and he said, Turn, open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. And I'm like, oh, no, he didn't. <laughs> but but he, then he said, turn to chapter 2. And I was like, whoo, okay. So I don't have to change my sermon, but that's fine. Even if I would have, it would have been good. But, uh, but here we are. We're in Hebrews chapter 1. Pastor Mark last week uh, walked us through chapter 2 of Hebrews, showing us that Christ came uh, fully as man. And here in Hebrews chapter 1, we're going to see uh, his divinity, that he's fully God as well. Uh, how that all works out, we don't know. But all we know is that, 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 that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man, uh, that he came as the only atoning sacrifice satisfactory to God's wrath for sin in our life. And so... 
Uh, Pastor Mark this morning is, again, he's over at Warner Road Baptist Church uh, participating in their sermon and their service because uh, the pastor that came to, to serve after he left there uh, is leaving to go to, I believe, either North or South Carolina, and they had asked him to come and to share in that service. Um, one of the fascinating things for me is not so much uh, just how many people uh, began to come to that church at Warner Road whenever they went from 10 to you know, 100, 120 and where they're at today, but also really uh, stands out to me is that in his 10 years at Warner Road Baptist Church, they trained up, prepared, and sent out leaders and pastors to plant. I believe he told me that there were eight churches that they planted out of that one church in 10 years. And so all glory to God for that as well. And so, uh, you know, as we look at Hebrews chapter 1 this morning, uh, you may ask yourself, what, what is uh, two pastors going to Hebrews 1 and 2 really have to do with approaching Christmas? Uh, but both uh, point uh, to Jesus Christ. I mentioned uh, earlier that uh, they both point to the fact that Jesus is fully man and fully God. Uh, and that Jesus didn't come in the most of common ways. But at the same time, he did. He was born uh, but he was born of a virgin, and he came, and, and, he, and he was born in an area that was uh, not what would be expected of a king to come, but Jesus did come as king. He came born as an infant, and he was king at his infancy. Uh, the book of Hebrews, as we look at this, uh, has uh, no identified author, really. Uh, not uh, Many people believe that it was Paul, but many argue that it wasn't, uh, but that really doesn't matter because we know that the author of all scripture is God himself. Uh, Hebrews was written to uh, Jewish believers who were uh, really contemplating because of their persecution of leaving. Uh, they thought they could leave their Christianity and run back to Judaism because of the things that were going on in their lives. Uh, the author states how that was not possible. And because the Old Testament, what the, 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 the Jews believed in, the Hebrews believed in, uh, was pointing to, the, to Jesus Christ of the New Testament. And as we're going to read here in chapter 1, uh, the, and, and uh, really the entire book of Hebrews, that, that Jesus is far superior far superior to all things. Chapter 1 talks about being superior to angels, but ultimately know that Jesus Christ is superior to all things. It's Jesus plus nothing that gives us life. And then so, um, you know, on Wednesday nights, our study that we've been going through is called The Old Testament Made Simple. Uh, we've gone through it rather quickly, but there's a lot uh, packed in there, and I've taken away a lot. I've learned a lot. Uh, and if you're interested in kind of knowing, if you haven't been a part of that, but you're interested in knowing and doing uh, what we've done the past six or seven weeks, this Wednesday will be our last uh, time to study through that. Uh, but um, we act actually, we have the little post-it sheets on the side where we were working this past Wednesday. But I'd love to give you a, a book, get you a booklet, and so that you can uh, begin to walk through there and really reveal uh, the Old Testament in a more clear way. Grab somebody that's been coming on Wednesday nights and just ask them to share how that's, how that's changed their life. Uh, because far too often we see in our world today that people say, I'm a New Testament Christian, right? We've come to a point where uh, Jesus Christ has come and I'm focused on the New Testament. Uh, but we have to understand that uh, the Old Testament, New Testament, cover to cover, uh, it, it's a book of unity. It's, it's one story. And that one story for me, uh, it, even it's, it's split into two testaments. And, and for me, Alistair Begg is a pastor that I love to listen to. And this past week, I heard a sermon from him, and he talked about, he shared how um, the Old Testament and the New Testament are really two acts of one play. And the fact that you have two acts, and they stand individually, but at the same time, one doesn't make sense without the other. And so we see the Old Testament and the New Testament as those two acts of the play. And so um, what happens is, is so... In the Old Testament, if all you knew was the Old Testament, when the Old Testament ended, what would be your hope? 
The Old Testament pointed to uh, a man that would come to uh, satisfy God's wrath on sin. But at the end of the Old Testament, we didn't see that. In the Old Testament, we were given the sacrificial system. We do see that. Uh, we see that, that God provided through animal sacrifices, through the Levitical priesthood, to go in and to make those sacrifices on behalf of man, uh, to make atonement through the shedding blood of, of an animal. Uh, but then you have a 400-year gap in the Old Testament and New Testament where uh, people are on the verge of, of chapter 1 ending and looking to, well, what next? And so uh, then chapter 2 comes, and chapter 2 is a perfect, clear picture uh, and coming out of, again, coming out of Act 1, we say, uh, I hope that this issue of sin would have been dealt with. Act 2 comes to make it clear what Act 1 left unanswered. And we have uh, Jesus Christ, the perfect human, the human perfection and willing substitute. Uh, in our home, Ruth watches, Ruth likes to watch movies and series, and I always like to walk in. Uh, halfway through it and have no idea what's going on if we just had one act or the other either act one or act two it would be similar to that i walk in and i ask her all kinds of questions she probably gets frustrated with me she's like would you just shut up so i can watch my show but i i'm like what's going on who's that you know all of those things and and if i'm still awake when act two starts uh, because i like to fall asleep whenever uh anytime i sit still or watching a movie or anything i always fall asleep but if i'm still awake when act two comes I see more clearly the things that were lined out in the first half of that. And so the, the, the second act has something really distinctive to say. Uh, the ultimate substitution in Jesus Christ uh, came. It was God himself who came and stood in our place. Rather than what we see in the Old Testament, once a year the Levitical priest would go and, on the Day of Atonement and go in and, and make the sacrifice on behalf of, the, of themselves and the people. But you know what happened at the end of that sacrifice? The priest would have to walk around to the end of the line and get back in line so next year he can make that same sacrifice again because sin ultimately wasn't fully taken care of uh, in the Old Testament, under the covenants of the Old Testament. And so today, uh, let's read here chapter 1 of Hebrews, and we're, I'm going to read it out of order. I want to read verses 5 through 14 and actually the beginning of chapter 2 uh, to start with because this is the outcome of the superiority of Jesus that we see as the people are placing angels uh, in an improper place. Beginning in verse 5, he says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father? Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, He makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of the joy. He always says, he also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And then the beginning of chapter 2. We must pay attention, pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. 
For since the message spoken through the angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore this great, so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit attributed uh, to his will. So again, we, we read that first, verses 5 through 14, primarily uh, out of order in a sense, because uh, all of this is the proof that comes from verse 4. Uh, so uh, it's the proof that the author is showing to the Hebrew audience, the Jews who knew the Old Testament, uh, and at least in their words, were looking forward and awaiting the Messiah, but not really. They were still looking to themselves. Uh, but thinking about worship and, and angels, uh, the thinking of the people that time that the Hebrews, that the author of this book was writing to, must have begun to, do to dominate their conversation uh, and really became distorted. Uh, they elevated the angels to the status where they didn't belong. And we need to be careful, church, to not elevate things to the status that, that, that Christ belongs. Nothing is to be elevated above him. And so we see that because why else would the author of Hebrews go into such great detail in chapters 1 and chapter 2 and then later in chapters 12 and 13 about these angels? Uh, the superiority of Jesus Christ was not where it belonged. Uh, it, it was where it belonged, but their thinking wasn't where it belonged. And so the author of Hebrews makes it clear and relevant how angels relate to Jesus Christ because he lifts up Jesus in such an extraordinary way. Uh, it's also under, uh, relevant for us to understand uh, because... Uh, it helps us understand who Jesus truly is. See, everybody's okay in this world with Jesus and talking about Jesus as long as they get to define who Jesus is. When we really and clearly mark out who Jesus is and what God's word says, that becomes the problem. That becomes the dividing line because then people can't be their own God. It's relevant for, relevant for us because of our trust and our worship of him. It's relevant because chapter one of, of, of or sorry, chapter two, verse one, uh, tells us that we must pay careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. On our Thursday night email study that we've talked about that at length the last couple weeks, that drifting is just so easy. Uh, and drifting is something that occurs in our lives. Uh, we don't necessarily intend for it to happen, but we can begin to elevate something uh, unknowingly or, or, or unwittingly in the place of Jesus Christ in our time frame, and we become, can become so busy or so overwhelmed with things that Jesus is no longer at all in our sight. It's relevant uh, because just as the, as the Hebrews had done, uh, and even more as we look at today, uh, that, that drifting aspect of our lives. And so now let's look at verses 1 through 4, and first we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. Uh, and then uh, verse 3 and then verse 4. I'm going to keep those in order. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. Uh, here we see that God spoke to the people in various ways, primarily through uh, prophets and messengers, uh, those that he had sent. It says that they spoke through the ancestors. Uh, he did this uh, to reveal his word to them, the Old Testament Torah. That's how we have that. That's how they received the law. When the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness after their exodus from uh, Egypt, uh, they st stayed at the base of Mount Sinai for about a year 
And Moses ascended and descended Mount Sinai eight times as he relayed exactly what it was that God would have him share with the people, uh, to share the covenant with the people and that the people would agree to the covenant that they would ultimately break. And so the need for uh, another covenant and another covenant and not so much that or not at all that God didn't fulfill his end of the covenant, but we as his people, uh, we as people failed to fulfill the covenant uh, every single time. And so ultimately, as we see uh, in the final covenant, the new covenant with Jesus Christ in Jeremiah 31, the telling from the Old Testament of the coming Messiah that, that God would provide for us, that he would come and he would give us a new heart, that he would make us new. Nothing on our own accord that we would do to receive our own salvation. As they wandered, the, the God had, had ordered them to build a tent of meeting, a tabernacle at the center of uh, where they encamped. There would be the tent in the center, the Levites immediately around, and then the 12 tribes would camp in all four directions beyond that. God would be at the center of that because God wanted to be among his people. God sought out. He spoke to them. They went to the tent of meeting, and God shared, for, shared with them. And as wonderful as all of that was, it wasn't enough. God revealed himself ultimately here, as we see in verses 1 and 2, through Jesus Christ, through his Son, and verse 2 reminds them, the Hebrews, and us today, that in these days, God is revealing to us Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the, the eternal life that we may have. And that only comes through him, John 14, 6. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And it was necessary as he came to earth, as he identifies with sinful humanity, uh, as we looked last week, as he was fully man, he came to not be sinful, uh, not, uh, but only to identify with sinful humanity, to come and led by, be led by the Spirit in the wilderness to, to defeat uh, Satan in the, will, in, the, in the desert as Satan tempted him several times. And he used what? God's spoken word uh, to battle him. You and I, at the same time, understand that Jesus himself is, hopefully we understand that Jesus himself is the only substitutionary sacrifice uh, that would satisfy God's wrath for sin. The Old Testament and all that they did and all of the sacrificial system pointed forward to something greater, and that was Jesus Christ. Because through the Son, as we see here in verse 2, God appointed all things. Jesus was the one through whom he made the universe Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. And how does he sustain all things? It says specifically, by his powerful word. In Genesis, God spoke into being. The prophets were God's messengers. They said, thus says the Lord. The Bible written by men, but only as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we see that uh, here in verse 3 specifically, the sun being the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he provided purification for sin. It says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. His work was completed when it came to uh, providing the means for uh, sacri or providing the means in his sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin, that in him we could have eternal life. You see, all the ways that God provided for mankind to hear him, to show them their sin, to show us our sin uh, and our need for salvation was always the way that God was telling them and showing them and showing us, church, that we couldn't do it ourselves. Every time we would fall short, Romans 3.23, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. 
it was going to be through the Son, the one born of the Virgin, lived a sinless life, uh, who would reveal the radiance of God, His glory, to make possible for salvation through forgiveness, what it says here in verse 3, the purification for sin. In Matthew chapter 1, Matthew gets right to the point and it says that, that Jesus came to save the world from their sin. No other reason. To save the world, to save you and I from our sin. And we, we need that. That's ultimately our number one issue. Verse 3 talks about his radiance, God's glory. And so we, we might ask ourselves, what does that look like? I mentioned earlier uh, as Moses went up on Mount Sinai and, and he experienced God's glory from that day forward, the rest of his life, he had to veil his face because his glory, God's glory had shone so bright that uh, it needed to be covered from the people. Matthew chapter 17 in the, in the Mount of Transfiguration, one of my favorite passages uh, from the Gospels as we look at that. And we don't, we're not going to spend a lot of time there uh, because I know as we go back into the book of Matthew starting in January, that'll be one of the passages we cover. Uh, but in reference to God's radiance and God's glory and, and Jesus Christ and how all that kind of fits together, uh, I just want to read there. If you can turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17, uh, that passage is also found in Luke chapter 9 and Mark chapter 9, uh, detailed there. But to this morning, we're going to read really quick through Matthew chapter 17 and just get a quick glimpse of the impact of God's glory and his radiance on three disciples, Peter specifically, as they go up. So beginning in verse 1, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. See, Peter never really gets it, does he? Verse 5, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice of the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. We see there that Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets. What we talked about earlier from the Old Testament. And what we see at the end of that passage is that only Jesus was there when, when it was all said and done. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. Jesus came and was, was far superior to the prophets. He was so far superior to the law, the only one that could keep the law. Uh, he's far superior, as we look here in the, in the book of Hebrews, to the angels. As the whole book of Hebrews talks about, uh, Jesus is far superior to the, the Levitical priesthood, to the sacrificial systems, all those things, because ultimately he was the only one that could satisfy sin, the punishment for sin in our lives, and provide a way for us to be reconciled to God. And we're going to look and see uh, at the end of our message this morning how Peter's life was radically transformed from that encounter. We see so many things in the life of Peter as he goes on, but Peter does get it right at some point. And we're going to see, we're going to look at First and Second Peter here in a moment. But, it, but in verse 4 here, it says of Hebrews, So he became much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. It's all in the name of Jesus. Acts 4.12 reminds us that there's no other name under heaven given by which mankind must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. Amen? 
And we see here that the author hammers home Jesus' superiority to the angels, uh, the, the ones that the Jews were elevating and worshiping. And, it makes, and he makes it even more clear to the author that he knew that these Jews even had other ancient writings uh, that they relied on in which they say the Messiah should be preferred to angels. And in their ancient writings, they say of him, he shall be exalted above Abraham. He shall be lifted up above Moses and be higher than the ministering angels. What the author here is telling the Jews is, I know that you believe scripture. You say you believe scripture. But even in some of your other writings outside of scripture, you say these very same things. So you say you believe it, but ultimately, do they really? And the answer really is no. They're looking to other things other than God to, uh, to understand and to fulfill uh, what it was. And so I looked that up to this week, and it's called the Jewish Midrash. And these are writings that the Jews believed would provide new insights, better understandings, a clearer picture of what the Old Testament was, was telling them. The things that they felt like the scripture didn't provide. It gave them what they thought was a fuller understanding or awareness of spiritual, moral, and ethical truths and values that were only briefly and, and even mysteriously talked about in, in the Bible and Scripture. They believed that by answering the questions that these, these writings answered the questions that uh, Scripture left unanswered. Uh, it made the biblical message more meaningful to them and relevant in the lives of those who heard them. But at the same time, they even set aside those teachings to elevate creation over the creator. But before we judge the Jews far too quickly, uh, we need to understand and realize that we need to look at our own lives and flesh out what it is that, that we are elevating above Jesus Christ. Uh, as a believer and an unbeliever, we both hear the gospel. And as a believer, we even need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to hear it on a daily basis. Uh, because when we don't, we begin to elevate things above the cross, above Jesus Christ, above the life that we've been given in him. And it's easy to do. We do begin to drift. Uh, what is it that, that you, what is it that I are worshiping more than Jesus Christ, even if we attempt to call it something else? For the disciples, it was comfortability. For the disciples, it was their own status many times. Uh, for the disciples, it was the easy road sometimes, right? Uh, they wanted to send the people away as Jesus fed them. And Jesus said, no, you do it. Uh, the life of a Christian is a life that, uh, as devoted to Christ, uh, means that uh, because we're saved, we are going to be uh, given works to do. God is expecting that of us. Not that our works would save us, but because of our salvation, uh, we will be given things to do, to accomplish, to do for him, to his glory and honor. And Peter understood that later on uh, because after he denied Christ, uh, the night of Christ's arrest and ultimate crucifixion, uh, Jesus predicted that he would, he would uh, fail him three times and reject him, and he did. But he goes back to preach the greatest sermons in the, in the books of the apostles, uh, the signs and wonders in the book of Acts, right? And so he leads and, and, and preaches and, and convicts people of their sin and draws them and says, believe in the Lord Jesus. I tell you this morning, church, believe in the Lord Jesus. And once we believe in the Lord Jesus and we give our life to him, uh, our life will be radically transformed and changed. That may take and look different for each and every one of us. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. It may not fully happen overnight, uh, but gradually uh, as we are guided by the Holy Spirit, our lives will be, we will be transformed more and more in the image of Christ. And if we look at 2 Peter, we're going to see that that night that he was on the, or that day or night or whatever that was, he was on the mountain with Jesus and my, Mo, Moses and Elijah appeared. Uh, the, the result of that and how that affected his life 
going forward in his ministry. If you turn, you don't have to turn, but you could turn with me to Second Peter chapter chapter Second Peter chapter one, and I'm gonna start reading in verse 16, 16 through 18. Peter says, "For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but." We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Peter says here in verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And then on in verse 19, it says, we also have a prophetic message as something completely reliable as you will do well to pay attention to it as the light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but by prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And it's the same message we have this morning uh, to the world, to ourselves that Jesus Christ is the one uh, who is uh, given honor above all, that as verse 3 said here, after he provided purification for sin, he sat at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. That was instant. That happened in his life for him, for Jesus Christ, as he sits at the right hand of God. But it's also for us the message today, church, in Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that our new life in Christ, we are also seated at the right hand, seated next to Christ. That is both current and future. Because when we give our life to Christ, when we say yes to him, we are instantly made new. We receive the Holy Spirit uh, who comes in and indwells us and uh, gives us the power over sin in our lives. Uh, We have that status that we are justified, made right uh, in the eyes of God. But also a future promise of hope that we too will be where he is, as Jesus told his disciples, uh, I will go and I will prepare a place for you and I will come back. How amazing is that promise? And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, if you're still in 2 Peter, just turn uh, back one or two pages there. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. The promise of the gospel that is vastly different from the promise of this world. The promise of this world is get more, gain more, hold more, keep more, and you'll win, right? That's not what the gospel says. It says here in verse 18, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached 
to you. That's the very same word that you're preached to today through Scripture, through God's word, that, that Jesus Christ is the only way to a right relationship with the Holy God. Our sin separates us from that Holy God, and we are in need of a Savior. As we began, and I talked about the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, mankind attempting to uh, do it on their own, even though it was uh, an act that God ordained, it was a clear understanding of what was to come, that that Levitical priest would make that sacrifice time after time after time. We would day after day bring sacrifices. Uh, we would ask for forgiveness, but ultimately point to uh, eternity lost, separated from God, because there was no ultimate sacrifice that would satisfy that. But in Act 2, Jesus comes, and he's the Messiah, the one who would save us from our sin. And this morning, church, I urge you uh, to turn your hearts, to turn your eyes to him, to submit to him. And if today, for the first time, you're willing to say that I believe in God through Jesus Christ, I, I welcome you. We rejoice with you. I publicly call you to announce your faith in Christ. If you realize today that uh, you are elevating anything in creation over the creator, uh, are willing to turn away from that, I rejoice with you. If you are this morning that see how uh, you are respecting and elevating Christ to the status that he is, we rejoice with you. But ultimately, there's nothing uh, that uh, is above Jesus Christ at all. And apart from him, we will spend eternity separated from God and an object of his wrath. And so this morning, uh, as we close, uh, I ask you, uh, what is it uh, that's keeping you from saying yes to Christ? And if you're following him, keep your eyes on the cross. Continue to preach the gospel to yourself daily uh, because we need it. Because drift is real and it happens. But just remember, Jesus plus anything is nothing. Jesus is all we need. Amen? Amen. And so I want to read uh, this morning uh, from my, I'm, I'm just going to quote it, uh, my favorite passage of scripture uh, that I hold on to dearly uh, to remind me of where I've come from and where I'm headed uh, and everything in between. And then uh, I'm going to offer up a word of prayer and a closing scripture, and then we're going to be dismissed. And so Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 is a passage of scripture that the first time I ever preached, I preached that passage of scripture at the prison uh, at Lansing Correctional Facility. And it says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See, to be, to, to, so then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, it means that you had to start somewhere. And this morning, church, you can start. You can say yes to Christ. And then once you say yes to Christ, continue to live in him. Stay rooted and built up in him. Stay strengthened. Share the gospel and overflow with thankfulness. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for uh, our time this morning. And Lord, I invite all who don't know you that this morning that, that say yes to you, that they would come. This morning, Lord, uh, those that may be struggling with sin, struggling with uh, depression, issues in our lives, uh, as we see uh, all around us that there are, uh, there are things that, that continue to drag us down, draw our attention away from you, and to hold us captive. And Lord, we know that we no longer have to stay captive to those things. As uh, my brother Jim said earlier in 
I believe James chapter 4, that we are to cast our anxieties on you. And Lord, I just pray that this morning that would be real in, in, our, in all of our lives, that we would look to you, uh, that we would leave our sin at the foot of the cross, and that we would live a new life in you. We thank you for your love. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.